Let's pray. Lord, we've already enjoyed this morning your Messiahship in our life. Thank you, God, for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for answered prayer. Thank you for the feast of your table and the feast that's yet to come. Thanks for glorious songs of praise that draw our heart close to you. Now, God, as we peer into the truth of your word that pierces in between soul and spirit and joint and marrow, we pray you'd have your way with us with this word. We want Jesus to be manifest to our world in bold, powerful ways. And I think we should be a part of that, Lord, according to your word. Help us to be a part of that effectively. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus. Who is Jesus? We find out some interesting things about who Jesus is in this passage in Luke chapter 4. Before we get started, though, I just want to say this. Jesus' approval rating fluctuates wildly in his life. Remember what happened on uh, what we call Palm Sunday? Jesus came in and people are going, Hosanna, Hosanna, you're our king. We love you. They're throwing down their coats. It's a big parade. Five days later, it's crucify him, crucify him. Good Friday. In this passage in Luke chapter 4, which we read earlier, it goes from they were amazed at the gracious words of Jesus and they all spoke well of him to we've got to throw this guy off a cliff. We have to assassinate this person. Better dead than alive amongst us right now. What does Jesus do when the populace around him has changing opinions? What do politicians do? Oh, well, if that's where the people are heading, I'd better become like them to secure their vote. I better secure my base. means I need to feed off of those people in these corners of my coalition, make sure that they're all with me. Does Jesus operate like that? Jesus in John chapter 2, the Gospel of John, John himself writes this about Jesus. He says, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in a man. In other words, they are going to fluctuate wildly. But I, Jesus, I am comfortable in my own skin. I know who I am. I know who my Father is. I know who the Spirit is who has come upon me to empower me into a ministry. I'm on mission, and that mission is to seek and save the lost. And it's going to involve suffering. I know that. And he sticks to his guns his entire life. Which is really encouraging to me. That he doesn't blow in the wind like so many in our world. Trying to be a man pleaser. But he is a father pleaser. His father. So he pleases his father by staying consistent to the mission that he has moving forward. He proclaims the truth of that mission when he stands up in his hometown synagogue. I love this. As was his custom, so he'd gone to synagogue for 30 years. This is Jesus' 30-year-old. And it was his custom to stand up and read, and then they'd hand him the scroll. So even before Jesus was baptized and launched into his mission, he had years behind him of being a teacher, even being referred to as rabbi by some, as someone who handled the word of God well, and in his hometown of Nazareth probably did Bible studies all the time. So this is Jesus on just another Sunday, but it's not just another, or Saturday, I should say, synagogue. Not just another Saturday, because 
It used to be before he was baptized and received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Before he had done that incredible miracle at Cana in Galilee that we talked about last week where he turned water into wine. And before he had done several other miracles in the area around Galilee, including the city of Capernaum. So Jesus has been active, and now he's coming back home, and he's speaking for the first time in his home church. And he pulls out the passage in Isaiah 61. Everybody knows what Isaiah 61 is. It's one of those Messiah passages. It's the one in the Old Testament where, where, where God is promising what is to come through the promised Messiah. They had read it a million times. They loved thinking about it. They can't wait for this Messiah to come. So Jesus picks that scroll. The scroll was given to him of Isaiah. It says he picked the text. He goes straight for this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. I was baptized just a few days ago. You all there? Were some of you there? The Spirit literally descended upon me. And now he's saying to this congregation, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's he saying when he says that? I'm the guy. I'm the guy Isaiah was talking about. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. I am your Messiah. Now, the people of Nazareth, at first, this is awesome. This is our boy Jesus. Hometown hero, growing up and saving the world. This is, the Messiah is going to be from Nazareth? This is fantastic. So all spoke well of him. Until Jesus went from this amazing claim, which is, I am the Messiah, to this. Take a look at this. Jesus immediately goes all controversial. And I started looking at this text this week and I thought, why are they so angry with what Jesus says? Because as you'll see, Jesus doesn't say anything. He's not poking a finger at anybody. He's, not, he's, he's given two factoids and, and just a present reality. It starts with this present reality. So he says to start his sermon, after he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He goes, doubtless, You will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Jesus is talking about an old proverb of the land. It's not from the scriptures or anything. Just that old phrase. Physician, you're a doctor, heal. Hamburger maker, you're a hamburger maker, make a hamburger. Messiah, you're the Messiah, be a Messiah. Do Messiah stuff. Messiah, Messiah yourself. So you're probably saying, oh, physician, heal yourself, or Messiah, be the Messiah. In fact, why don't we have, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And then Jesus says, no, because no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Jesus knows they're not going to believe. What did we talk about last week with John chapter 2 and the miracle of Cana? When Jesus did that miracle, the disciples saw his glory manifested And they believed. That's why Jesus does miracles. It's not just to put on a show. It's so that his glory would be manifested and people would believe. But Jesus was in his hometown synagogue and he knew. They're not going to believe in me. The Bible says that Jesus went to other cities and says, I could not do miracles there because of their lack of faith and belief. So Jesus knows what's in the heart of a man. And in that situation he said, 
no miracle for you. I'm not going to do any because you're not believing. Now, that could have gotten them somewhat upset because they were there for the show. I mean, goodness sake, we'd heard what's going on at Capernaum, and we're hometown, so surely you're going to give us your best, do some good miracles amongst us. But then Jesus turns the corner again and says this. I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. You remember that? When the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Narrower and smaller and smaller. Why in the world would you go to a Lebanese Gentile widow woman when you could go to the nation of Israel? And then he says, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. A lot of lepers. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, who was a Syrian. Those are just factoids. He's just pointing out obvious truths in the scripture. And what is the response of the people to those statements? They were livid. They were so angry because he was saying, I'm the Messiah, but I'm not just your Messiah. In fact, I'm going to bless your enemies first because they believe. (laughs) That made them mad. But why so mad that they would go from Jesus, we know you, you're a boy, you grew up in town, you had a paper route, you know, we know Joseph and Mary, we know your brothers and sisters. Now we're going to kill you because of what you just said. What I say, all I said was some historical facts and the fact that I'm not going to do anything for you right now because I know that on the inside, you don't believe that I am divinely Messiah in front of you. You like the idea, but I'm not going to do miracles and these truths are from the Old Testament and they're just livid angry. It just made me think all week long. It's not what we say that makes people angry with what we say. It's how they hear it. It's how they receive it. It's their predisposition. What was the predisposition of these people which made them so angry when Jesus said these statements? So I'll tell you you about these people. They're Israelites. The next picture. This is... Oh, 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 no. Hey, I want to do these examples. I started thinking about examples of things that we can say in our world that are just statements, but they can cause people to maybe get angry or get defensive or get overly excited or whatever. So if I just said to you, you know, just because the ocean is warmer than it used to be, some of you might go, ah. You dang liberal, you're up there trying to, is global warming? No, global warming's right. Some of you are going, yeah, it is warmer, we got to do something. I'm just, just saying, this is just a, a statement. But depending on your predisposition, you respond emotionally to that. Or if I say to you, uh, undocumented immigrant labor is good for our economy. Ah, how can you say that? And everybody's going, yeah, yeah, we have free, free the border, no, build a wall. We get violent responses on either side, just from a simple statement. Or you can identify and hear a fetal heartbeat at eight weeks. That's just true. Yeah, it is true. Yeah, I don't know. It's not true. Because we have agendas on the inside that hear things. So I started thinking, what's it? I'll try this one on there. Baseball fans in here? Like I said, I could just say this statement. Um, A.J. Pollock's favorite color is blue. No laughter. Okay, it didn't work here either. 
A.J. Pollock was a diamondback who signed with the Dodgers this weekend. I'm a Dodger fan. So I respond to that very kindly. Some of you might be furious and want to throw me off a cliff for bringing it up. That could be true. So Jesus comes and says, you know, God at times has chosen to bless Gentiles instead of Jews. Just say it. And they went nuts. And that's because this is, uh, this is them. They were make Israel great again, people. That was their agenda. They wanted a Messiah to come for themselves. It was their dream. It's their nationalists. They're all part of it. And there's different breeds of nationalists. In fact, some of, some of the people there were, were, were right-wing nationalists who actually <clears throat> really did think that Gentiles were just bad. Like, no, you're a Messiah. You don't go to the Gentiles at all. They can just go to hell. You are a Jewish Messiah. You're here to raise up a nation, us, not them. That would have been the right-wing hardliners. But there are also moderates who say, okay, I know that there's a God who eventually is going to do something good for the whole world, because we do find that in the Old Testament. But Messiah is ours. Come on, you're the, you're the Jewish Messiah. You're the new David. You're here to prosper us as a nation. It's about us, not them. Maybe them someday, but not now. But then the moderates might have even gone so far as to say, yeah, I think that it's okay. The Messiah is going to bless all nations too. And maybe the Messiah will even dabble with Gentiles now. But first things first, right? Can't, can't you at least do a little something for home? I mean, we've got, we've got problems here. We've got homeless people and we've got hunger problems. And we, c- Come bless us. Don't run off to, don't run off to other people. Nation. You're the Messiah for crying out loud. But all three of them were at a pitched level of anger. Why? Because their dream of Messiah was very clear in their mind. This is why we want a Messiah. I have a dream of what Israel's going to be like, and you're coming in and saying, I'm the Messiah, but I'm not going to do your dream. I'm going to work on this other thing instead. He said, We can't have that kind of Messiah. Because my dreams are so wrapped up in this idea of Messiah that I'd rather have you dead than lose my dream. It's all about my predisposition of what I want. Which, by the way, can happen to us when it comes to God. God can come to us. There's some, each person in this room is at a different place and they're, they're thinking about God, their journey with God. And some of you are saying, God, yeah, I'm into a, a God because... I have a life I'm trying to live and God could be of assistance to that. But my dream is really my life and what I'm doing. And if God can help, then I'll let God into my life. That's what they were. I have a dream of what Israel can be and this Messiah should come and feed my dream. Jesus says, no, I don't feed your dream. I'm here because I know who I am. I know who my father is. I know who the spirit is. I know what my mission is. I know what my ministry is supposed to be. I know it's to seek and save the lost. I know it's going to involve suffering. I'm just doing what I'm doing. And public opinion is going to rise and fall. But I know what I'm about. But these folks were so livid with Jesus that they took him to a cliff. We don't know exactly how he got out of it. If it was a miraculous sneaking through the crowd or if they just relented a little bit and let him go. But ultimately, Jesus didn't change his approach. 
he just, he, he just let the negative feedback, the negative of lack of approval, the negative consequences, he let it happen and then went on to the next place. It reminds me a little bit, some, many of you know the story in the, in the New Testament of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, bad boy, takes his father's inheritance, goes and spends it all on wild living, gets sad, repents of his sin, comes back to dad. Dad forgives him, and they throw a big party in honor of this repentant, broken young man who has wasted his life and probably deserves a good spanking, but we're going to have a party anyway. Prodigal's brother is out working in the yard, and he's over there saying, you're, you're killing the fatted calf for him? You're celebrating his life? Why aren't you celebrating my life? I've been faithful. I'm working hard. I didn't leave. I didn't waste anything. And yet the party's for him and it's not for me. I'm not even going. That's Nazareth. That's the town. Saying, no, God is here for me because I'm good and I'm God's favorite and I should get the blessing. And as soon as Messiah says, I'm going elsewhere, we can't have it. We have to bust that down. Jesus, though, is comfortable in his skin. And thank goodness we are in Arizona. We're not in uh, Lebanon or Syria. We're all the way on the other side of the globe. They didn't even know there was a globe back then. But Jesus, even in Nazareth, is thinking, no. God sometimes goes to Sidon. God sometimes goes to uh, Zarephath or Syria. God might even go to Scottsdale. Save them. What is this God about? Isn't he about making Israel great again? No, he's about making the world great again. He's about bringing Garden of Eden back to the whole planet, not just you guys, not just your nation. It's not Israel first. It's God first and his nations redeemed. So let me just turn this on its edge to wrap this up. This controversial approach of God put him in harm's way. You see that? God is comfortable in his own skin. The skin that he put on by becoming the incarnation, took on the human flesh in his life. And Jesus is comfortable in that flesh. Are you comfortable in Jesus' skin? The Apostle Paul says when we're baptized into Jesus, we are baptized into his body. We take off the old and we put on the new. His life is now our life. His skin is our skin. His clothing is our clothing. We put on Christ. How's that feel? You comfortable in that outfit? I started thinking about some of the things that Jesus has to say about those who are going to be followers of his in the world. Because Jesus was just in this situation. He almost got thrown off a cliff. And we go, I don't want any of that action. But Jesus comes and turns to his disciples and says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's what being a follower, that's my skin. They persecute me, they'll persecute you. Then I thought about this verse that says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Why did Jesus say that? Because there's going to be people who don't believe you and believe your words. There's going to be antagonism to your ongoing sharing of the gospel. Get ready for it. There's going to be some dust shaking involved. 
That's what it is to put on my skin in your world. Then I thought about this verse that says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, which points out the fact that not only will you be hated maybe once or twice, but you'll have to endure negative by being a representative of Jesus in your world. Are you ready for that kind of action? Are you ready for that kind of skin? Now, some of you are going, is there another church I can go to that doesn't tell me that I need to be like that? That doesn't tell me that I have to walk in that? Because you read these kind of scriptures and three things you could do. You could either change what you believe, be a good politician, maybe water it down a little bit so you don't believe hard things, so you get along with everybody. And some of our liberal Christian denominations have done just that, and it's, it's sad and terrible. They start saying things like, ah, sin is not so bad, and really God's morals really aren't for today. And, and Jesus didn't, he wasn't really God and didn't really literally resurrect from the grave. And there really isn't like this Holy Spirit. That's, you know, it's, we're, science is basically our foundation of truth. And little religion is good for just positive feeling. And this kind of shake it down to what the world will receive. What the progressives can use as a religious sidecar to their agenda. We could do that and get along well with the world. But we've just completely ruined the gospel. There's no more gospel or we could say, well, this is what I believe, but I'm just going to keep it quiet to myself because I'm kind of, you know, I'm just a little worried about what people might think of me and, you know, it might look bad on me or it might get me into trouble. But then I thought of this verse that says, whoever's ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Okay, I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm just going to avoid people then. I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay home. I'm only going to shop at the Christian bookstore uh, and I'll have my groceries sent over by Uber. I just, I'd, I'll just monastery my life so that I don't have any conflict. I'll just hang out with other Christians, people who believe like me. But Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You're set out there for everybody to see. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, it gives light to the whole house in the same way. Let your light shine before others. The place of the body of Christ is out there in the world, rubbing shoulders with everybody, being Christ to the world. But it's dangerous out there. It's just like Jesus in Nazareth. He takes this truth and he walks into this situation and he almost loses his life. The gospel in all of this is this. The good news is this. That Jesus has come, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he has come to bring salvation and redemption and release and freedom, favor of God. That's so great. It's come in Christ. And when things go bad, God's, gonna, God's got this. He's going to protect you as he needs to protect you. It wasn't time for Jesus to die yet. That was going to be Jerusalem's cross a few years later. So Jesus moves through the crowd. We don't exactly know why, but it wasn't his time for that. God knows that. God knows what he has for you. But God also knew that he had set up for Jesus suffering for the sake of the salvation of the world. And then he turns to us as Christians and says this, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. He also says in the gospel, I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. That's what it is to be a Christian. And if Christianity or the Bible is somewhat new to you, know that the biblical testimony is this. God created an incredibly good world, 
But because of man's sin, there is a fallenness. And because of the fallenness, a heavenly fallenness of evil and an evil spiritual world, we'll talk about this next week in the Who is Jesus series, there is negative uh, antagonistic spiritual reality that dominates life on the planet now. And those who are followers of Christ are a minority behind enemy lines, and it is dangerous here, just like it was for Jesus. It's dangerous for his followers. That's the skin of Christ. Are you comfortable in that skin? Can I exchange that skin for another skin that's a little safer? You can. But Jesus would say, no, no, no. no. This is what God has. This is what God has for the church. And our, our dream here at Shepherd of the Desert is to be a church that is a light to the world for the truth of Christ. But I guarantee you it is written in stone. There will be pushback by the world. Are we comfortable in knowing that that's the case? And are we willing to hear Jesus say, and I'll close with this, Jesus said, don't be afraid of a person who all they can do is kill your body. <laughs> Time out, Jesus. I am afraid of somebody who can kill my body. I might, my body, I might have my body killed? Yeah. You may die for this gospel. Don't be afraid of that. Be afraid of the one if you don't have a relationship with him, you could lose your soul eternity. God calls out his church to be his sacrificial representatives to the world for the sake of the light of the gospel. That's our skin. Can we be comfortable in that skin? I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. We're going to boldly proclaim this creed. You might think a creed right now, this is an old, stale thing. This is not old and stale. This is radical truth that if we say this is our skin of belief and we walk out into the world believing this and representing this, just promise you that there's going to be pushback. My hope is that as you partake of the cup and of the bread, you're willing to enter into the brokenness of our Lord and become a broken vessel for the sake of the world around you in Jesus' name, for the sake of these powerful truths. Let's proclaim them together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In light of that truth and being representatives of that truth, please hear this blessing. Because you know what? I need it. We need it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's empowering to you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor because the year of the Lord's favor is here and grant you peace in your reconciled nature with God even as you face the foe in proclaiming the gospel. Go in that great peace. Amen. We sing.